0: And I think when we can bring back human connection in an age of algorithms, we have this opportunity to transform the way that we work and to transform the way that we connect with one another.
1: How can we as creative educators and entrepreneurs find our authentic voice, get real in a world where real is hard to come by and share our vision all while making some serious money and keeping it all balanced? Hey, Hey, it's Alyssa with the teacher hustle podcast. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for taking a chance on me. I'm a fifth grade teacher, toddler mom, and serial entrepreneur. I'm answering all your burning questions and bringing you simple business tips, mindset shifts, and inspiration to help you turn your passion into an income that makes an impact without being overly complicated. You know that one thing you can't stop talking about? We are going to share it with the world. So grab a cup of coffee and let's bring your wildest ideas to life. I say every podcast episode is my favorite when I'm done recording it, but this one is really the one. Natalie Frank is my soul sister when it comes to our love for small businesses, communities, and the spirit that drives value-based entrepreneurship. Natalie Frank-Hayes is an entrepreneur, mobilization marketer, community builder, and neuroscience nerd. As one of the founders of the Rising Tide Society and the head of community at HoneyBook, she leads tens of thousands of creatives and small business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. Natalie talks to us today about how we can get out of that toxic competition mindset and cut down comparison to make way for more impact and more income. She teaches us how to find our voice and our unique strengths and stand together as a greater community of entrepreneurs. In this compelling episode, Natalie teaches us that together we are better. Together we're making a greater impact on the world of education. If you're a teacher starting or growing an online business, this episode is a must listen. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Natalie. I am so excited to welcome Natalie here to the Teacher Hustle podcast today. Natalie, as I told you, is the founder, co-founder of the Rising Tide Society. So Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I have to say I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment here with you on the podcast. I have been a fan for a long time because I feel like we are really aligned and we love small businesses, we love communities, and so I'm excited to introduce my audience to you. If they don't already know who you are, can you give them a little bit of background about you and about Rising Tide Society in general? Yeah, absolutely. So I am
0: a creative, I am a writer, and I'm a community builder. I started my career as a wedding photographer, and I built that business for years and years and years before I realized, I think, just how lonely and competitive entrepreneurship can be. And uh, that ultimately led to me co-founding the Rising Tide Society and our Tuesdays Together meetups uh, back in 2015. And ever since then, I have been um, working to build community and to foster a spirit of community over competition in the small business space. And also working alongside just so many really incredible small business owners that are cultivating these communities in their hometowns and um, just trying to change the culture of how small business is done you know, in our world.
1: I love participating in Tuesdays Together here in my hometown. I'm not sure my audience has heard of them. Can you give us a little background on Tuesdays Together and what they are?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So our Tuesdays Together meetups are gatherings that happen on the second Tuesday roughly of every month. Some groups are different and meet at different times, but for the most part, it's generally the second Tuesday. And these meetings are completely free to attend. They take part in or take place in over 400 locations now around the world. Uh, we're currently um, pausing in-person meetups because of COVID, but our hope is in 2021 to resume the in-person gathering. So you can get plugged in with your local group in a virtual meeting until then. Um, but they're incredible. They're led by volunteers that step up to lead and step up to facilitate these meetings. We talk about a wide range of business topics, everything from sales to marketing, to finance, to sort of the ins and outs of what you really need to know to operate a sustainable and profitable business but also to open the door to genuine conversations and advice that can only be given to you by other business owners we you know don't believe in hiding our secrets or holding information close to the chest, like we're very much about sharing knowledge, sharing information. Um, we, we talk about, you know, the title is the Rising Tide Society, and that's from the famous JFK quote, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that idea being that if we can share knowledge and share expertise and not try to hide what we're learning or hide what's working for us in our businesses, but instead give it all away, that we can actually raise the tide for everyone. And so we fight sort of that toxic, toxic uh, competition culture by doing just that. Just that.
1: Ooh, I definitely want to dig into the whole idea of toxic competition versus healthy competition, but I before we go there, I do want to know more about your thoughts on community. I know Tuesdays together for me have been a place to kind of meet up with visionaries and entrepreneurs who get it. Where when I try to talk to my husband or sometimes even my friends about my business, they don't necessarily get it. What first drew you to start really thinking about the importance of having a community as an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, so truthfully, um, it came about because I was lonely. You know, that's that's the truth. I I never set out to be a community builder. I often joke that. Um, you know, I was a really good wedding photographer and I loved being a wedding photographer, but I couldn't continue doing wedding photography if I felt the way that I did about my job. And, um, you know, I loved the actual craft, but the loneliness and the isolation and this sort of um, tear one another down to six from business as a whole really kept me feeling isolated in my own separate corner and not able to connect with other people and not able to forge really intentional relationships. Um, And so, you know, that was sort of where I found myself back in 2015 and opened up about feeling that way with friends in my hometown that were other photographers and basically, you know, said like, hey, I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of feeling like we don't have true community that transcends industry type, that is a diverse group of different people that can come together and just have really meaningful conversations and support each other and cheer for each other and root for everybody to succeed. That's what I really think this should look like. That's what I think the future of business needs to look like. And so ultimately from that moment, um, you know, we started to, to facilitate that conversation internally around like, well, what would it look like? How do we transform that? And the biggest Learning and understanding that we had was that we had to try to get people to connect face to face. There is something really powerful about seeing someone else, about hearing their story, about understanding that they're not, um, you know, this perfect curated version of them that you've come to know on the internet, right? That like they have struggles, that they're navigating challenges at work and at home, and they're trying to find their identity in this confusing world of small business ownership. And they're just like you in a lot of ways. They are just like you. And I think when we can Bring back human connection in an age of algorithms. We have this opportunity to transform the way that we work and to transform the way that we connect with one another. And this can be physically in person, like like I talk about Tuesdays together. But I also think the face to face can happen. Like we're connecting right now on the internet. Right, this technology that we have at our disposal is really critical and really important. It can be used for good. It can be used for so much good. And so. Um, we just advocate for that. And I think that idea really originated from loneliness. And then it kind of evolved to become something where we acknowledge that if we could actually bring people together could get them to sit down virtually or in person face to face, then we had this opportunity to break down those walls and to rewrite the narratives that we've been told about
1: one another and create a really lasting change. I'm over here nodding my head profusely because yes, yes, yes to all of that. And I think As teachers, like you mentioned with photographers, we can start to feel really isolated. Even if we're in a school surrounded by teachers, sometimes that environment can be toxic or we don't have the support we need and it can feel really lonely, even though we are surrounded by teachers. I'm lucky enough to work in a school where that's not the case and everyone is really supportive and collaborative, but I've heard from many other teachers that struggle with this. And I think, especially as a teacher entrepreneur, We're looking for people who understand that particular area and we've got to look beyond those face-to-face connections. Sometimes when we can't make the connections we need, then we need to go virtual and we need to connect with people through technology and really seek out those connections. But sometimes when we do that, we get caught up in the whole toxic competition mindset. So can you talk to us a little bit about what toxic competition looks like and how do we know when we're dealing with that? Yeah, absolutely. So it grows in the soil of scarcity. That's where it
0: starts, right? It starts from this idea that there is not enough to go around, that maybe you're falling behind or you're falling short or you're not keeping up you're not living into your potential you know it's fed by our insecurities it's fed by comparison and comparing ourselves to other people it's fed by people doubting you know the pursuit that you're taking on for example teachers you know if this is something you're doing as a side hustle or on the weekends or that you know you've brought an additional amount of work onto your plate you're going to have people that don't understand that doubt that that don't see the value of it that question it that consider this additional pursuit to to be, you know, a glorified hobby that aren't really seeing what you see, that all feeds into the soil of scarcity, telling you that you're not enough, that there's not enough. Uh, and, and that kind of environment doesn't invite, you know, this, this, larger ability to connect and grow and thrive together what it does is it pits you against somebody else it makes it about survival and not about thriving and and you know growing into the best version of ourselves and you know my first teacher was my mom My mom um, was really the person that, before I even had a chance to go to school, taught me lessons that I carry with me to this day. And one of those lessons that she taught me, and some of you might even teach this uh, to your own students, regardless of grade level, is this idea that it's not about being the best, but it's about being our best whatever our unique potential is, whatever we are uniquely capable of, you know, just in the same way, if you look at a classroom full of kids or a classroom full of adults, and all of us are students in life, you know, not every person sitting next to each other is the same at all in any way. They're uniquely abled, uniquely gifted, uniquely creative um, in their own way. And I think in the same way that you wouldn't want to take one kid who's great at math and another kid who is a phenomenal artist and tell them that they have to be exactly the same. And when they grow up, they have to measure up to some, you know, impossible definition of success. You shouldn't do that to yourself. We all are uniquely gifted and uniquely talented. And it's really about accepting that, embracing that, and not looking at the world through this lens of, if I'm not the best, then I'm not, you know, enough. It is about knowing that you're inherently enough, knowing that you're inherently capable, knowing that there are more than enough opportunities out there for you, and just working to be a better version of the person you were yesterday. That is what this is really about. And so if anyone you know, out there tells you that if you can't be the best, that you shouldn't try, um, they're lying. It's about being your best and the fact that by being your best, you're going to make an impact that only you can make in a way that's going to be received by somebody that's been waiting for you to make it. And that can be as a service provider, as a product creator, as whatever it is that you do in the small business space or as you step into pursuing different types of side hustle. Um, it's all about what you're bringing to the table. And we often talk as saturation well, of the market. I hear a lot of times people saying, well, there's already somebody doing this thing want to do. There's somebody out there, you know, who, who does it better that even in a saturated market, even when there are a lot of other people doing what you do, there's still room for you. And more importantly, the world still needs needs what you've got.
1: Yes, we need to write that down and stick it in front of our computers and repeat it every single day. I know a lot of the teachers I work with, there's so much going on, especially on Instagram, especially on social, where we're constantly comparing ourselves. When we get into that cycle of comparing and comparing, how do we get out of it? What exactly should we be saying to ourselves to put our energy somewhere else, somewhere more productive?
0: Yeah, so there's a technique in psychology called cognitive reframing and I actually um I just finished writing my manuscript and I talk about this a little bit in my book. My sister's a psychiatrist and so I had to check with her first and I was like, am I using this correctly? Like am I using this framework correctly? And she laughed and she said, "Yes, it's a little watered down, but it's it is the the technique that we we often use." And so I've got a thumbs up from Dr. Caroline Frank on this one, but the idea being that, you know, cognitive reframing can really help us transform the way that we view ourselves. And as a result, um, changing that mindset and changing the way that we think about ourselves in relation to others can actually transform the way that we engage with others, right? Our mindset is sort of the first step that then impacts our actions. And we see this all the time, especially teachers, you know, you you all see this every day, the students that have confidence that are self-confident, um, that have growth mindsets that are able to kind of adapt. Um, that all starts from within, you know, and that does change the Trajectory of when they hit roadblocks or they have difficult times, and so, um, you know, when it comes down to looking at ourselves and and facing that comparison monster in the mirror, it starts by reframing our thoughts about ourselves and others. So, for example, um, instead of viewing somebody's wins as proof that you're not measuring up and making it, you need to change that narrative. You need to consciously catch yourself when you're having those thoughts and rewrite the script. And um, one technique that I've done actually personally that I do when I journal is I will write down what I call the lies I'm telling myself. Um, you know, for example, uh, so-and-so just achieved this and it makes me feel like I'm falling behind. Well, Let's rewrite it. So-and-so just achieved this and I'm excited for her. That's incredible. And it's proof that I can do it too. And so looking at the successes of others as evidence for the potential success in yourself rather than evidence that you're not measuring up changes the way that you not only look at that person, but it also changes your actions toward them. Um, Another technique that I've used frequently is to turn comparison into cheerleading. So it sounds a little cheesy, but the truth of the matter is it really can transform the way that you feel. Uh, about others and the way that you feel about where you stand um you know in in your business and that looks like if you if you can identify maybe three people that you frequently compare yourself to three people that you find yourself using as a measuring stick right we none of us like to admit this but most of us have at least one person that we Check in on, and um, he or she or they often is the, the measuring stick that we look at, and we flip the script. And instead of comparing, we become their biggest cheerleader. We become the person that is fanning their flames, that wants to see them succeed, that is invested in encouraging them. Because the minute that we start to act in encouragement of others, it is very difficult for us to enable that comparison to turn into jealousy or envy, right, and lead us down a route where we're only poisoning ourselves. We're not, you know, we're not leading ourselves to to a place where we can really thrive and succeed. So those are sort of two techniques that I've used, changing the narratives and then flipping our actions towards others by becoming uh, louder advocates and cheerleaders.
1: Yeah, you're so right. And I think when we realize that there is enough to go around for everyone, there is enough abundance for everyone, then we also realize that competition is healthy and in ways it makes us more innovative and more creative. It kind of forces us to think outside the box. And as teachers, when we're serving other teachers with our businesses, we're really lifting the level of education around the world. And we're really ultimately all making each other better and to that end, we're making education better for students and for kids. And so competition can be healthy. What do you think about healthy competition?
0: Yeah, you, you got it. You nailed it. I think a lot of times when people hear community over competition, they think we're saying community and no competition, right? Or competition doesn't exist or that we're almost trying to pretend that we aren't competitors. The reality here is exactly what you said. Competition can be incredibly healthy and incredibly helpful. Um what we're out to kind of change is when it shifts into an unhealthy territory. So I'll talk a little bit about that. You know, healthy competition has a level playing field. Healthy competition has a clear set of rules or guidelines. And in the case of business, I think about it like ethics, right. Things that we agree to abide by, to be ethical business owners. Um, you know, we don't cheat our way to the top. We don't write negative reviews about somebody else or gossip on the internet to tear somebody else down. That's unhealthy. That's not good, good competition. That is toxic competition. Whereas healthy competition is we encourage and challenge one another to grow and to be better. And we give feedback when asked critical feedback to help one another improve. We have that level playing field where we acknowledge that, um, you know, we, We don't want to tear somebody down or or rip them apart in order to make ourselves higher. Um, It also looks like keeping competition in the arena. And this is really important because I think where competition starts to navigate into unhealthy territory is when it transcends the space that it was meant to exist in. And I'll explain a little bit, but you know, when, when you are competing for business, if you enable that competitive spirit to then go into every aspect of somebody else's life, you're comparing where they live, what they're doing, um, where they're traveling, and you start to look at them as your competition rather than As someone that you compete in business with, um, it really can create a a really toxic environment. And a a great example of how this can be reduced and actually non-existent is when we look at what happened during COVID to so many small business owners, and I have no doubt that in the teaching small business space, The COVID pandemic brought about such a need for new thought leaders, new ideas, um, teachers encouraging teachers, teachers, you know, creating new products to help teachers, um, new services, new courses, new education for teachers. Like there's such a need for a moment of coming together, of supporting one another, of fighting for one another and not fighting against one another. And, you know, in, in this season, in the small business space, I witnessed competitors coming together to lobby for PPE support or coming together to fight for um you know this that and the other things that that were going to help save their business things in the teaching world i have no doubt that were for the best interest of students that are now navigating a brand new season in a really hard time and educators that are having to change everything about how they operate to ensure that that students are cared for that's a lot to take on and now if we were to allow competition to hinder us from coming together, to stop us from actually supporting one another, even if you have two teachers that also sell courses on teaching or also you know, do something that is similar and they compete in the business arena, if they aren't able to come together to support a larger cause or something greater than themselves, then that's when that competition has navigated into a toxic and unhealthy place. But instead, if they're able to support one another, now we're talking about healthy competition. Now we're saying, yes, we might compete in the arena, but right now we're not in the arena. Right now we're in crisis mode. Right now we're trying to to do something greater. And so we're going to come together and we're going to to kind of surrender any concern that we wouldn't be for one another in this space, right? And so that's a little bit about the tenets of healthy competition, but it, it does go back to this idea that, you know we kind of abide, abide by clear rules it's a level playing field we leave it in the arena we don't take it home with us and we we care for one another and we put people first before before that competition
1: yes and one other thing that really breaks my heart when i talk to teachers who are struggling with this is what we call imposter syndrome where they really are hesitant to put their great idea out into the world because They feel new. They feel like they're not big enough yet. They don't have a large enough following yet. They feel like no one will take them seriously yet. How can we push past that imposter syndrome to get our ideas out into the world? Because they do have wonderful ideas. So two things here.
0: First, we have to acknowledge that even our heroes feel like imposters too. Even the biggest names or the people that you think would never doubt their ability, uh, they do. They do every day and, and that type of, of slight discomfort is actually quite a good thing it keeps us innovating it keeps us learning it keeps us improving i mean as educators you probably are the number one folks that would struggle with imposter syndrome because you are literally in a career field where you are constantly learning and improving and trying to help other people do the same thing so this imposter syndrome is natural we have to acknowledge it but understand that it may never go away um it may always just be that little whisper in the back of our minds um Now, it doesn't mean we can't combat it, and it doesn't mean that we can't work through it. And I think that leads me to the second point here, which is understanding that at every single stage of your life, of your development, of your business... You have something to offer. You have something incredibly valuable and important to say. And so to enable that imposter syndrome to stop you from actually going out and doing what you are meant to do and, and saying what you need to say and creating what you need to create and you know, launching what you need to launch, then you're accepting failure before you've even begun. And the failure itself is something that, you know, you tell your students all the time. It's it's not really failure until you decide to let it stop you. If you keep using it as learning tools, as the ability to improve or to keep moving forward or just to refine ourselves and, and continue growing, then it's actually such a beautiful and incredible thing. And so you need to look at it the same way, except that it will potentially always be there. And move forward anyway. Move forward in spite of it. Continue moving forward. And I'll add one last little bonus point here. You know, don't be afraid to talk about how you're feeling with others. I think imposter syndrome, loneliness, isolation, it wants to keep us quiet. It wants to keep us in our, our own corner not able to talk about it, not able to communicate with others about it. But when you start to say, Hey, you know, I'm really feeling this way right now. Like this is where I'm at. This is how I genuinely am feeling. And you're able to open up in a safe space or with other people that you trust that, you know, care about you and your well being, care about your business. Or, you know, like we talked about this at Tuesdays together, that's really a space where you're surrounded by people who get it. Um, You're going to find that you're not alone. And sometimes just that small sense of solidarity, that small moment of acknowledging Wow, you feel this
1: way too? It's enough to ensure that you can keep pushing forward and you can keep moving past it. So important to be surrounded by people who get it. And especially during this time of COVID, we have to look outside of where we might normally look for those communities and those connections and to get surrounded by people. I know I used to, when I was in high school, even I used to go to coffee shops and I would look at those bulletin boards and then I would want to go to every single class and every single thing and connect with all the people. But now it's a little bit more challenging. But at the same time, it's also exciting because you have access to so many more people thanks to the internet. What are your best suggestions for staying connected during this time of COVID? Yes, so my community development manager Kate Masters,
0: who has worked with me for four years now and she leads our creative and chronically ill chapter of Rising Tide. She has a saying that I actually put in my book. I wanna tattoo it on myself. Okay, maybe not like that extreme, but I love it. And it's this idea that online community is not an imitation, it's an innovation meaning that there is still so much to be done and so much potential in connecting with other people online. Internet friends are still real friends, right? We have to get rid of this idea that our lives only exist in the physical realm because the reality is our world is not going backwards. Our world is moving forwards. And so the COVID pandemic really just thrust us forward a significant amount of time. Now, I won't go on a tangent here about the negative implications of social media or the fact that we are in an age of algorithms and we're kind of fighting Silicon Valley you know, strategists who are using everything in their wheelhouse to keep us addicted. I'm not going to go there for just a second. Um, I need to acknowledge it because it's very real, but I also need to acknowledge that we have a choice in how we want to find that safe space and how we want to find others by understanding that we have a choice when we pick up our phone or our computer and how we use it. And there are really two ways that I found I can categorize this usage. One is consuming and the other is connecting. Now, when we talk about the negative implications of social, Primarily, that's in the consumption. That's when we're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. That's when we're going down the rabbit hole. That's when we're not actively engaged and we're passively consuming. Connection, on the other hand, is where there is so much potential and so much power to really get to build relationships with others, to find places where we can connect, to connect and create spaces ourselves if we don't find one. Um, That really aligns with what we're trying to do. And so first, I think it starts with a conversation. If you're trying to find a community either locally or maybe on on a global sphere, it starts by having a conversation. You can slide into someone's DMs. You can hit me up anytime and say, hey, I am doing this and I'm really trying to find a space where I can do why. And so starting that conversation and starting to find out where the spaces are that These people are hanging out and connecting will open doors that you literally never knew existed in spaces that are often closed groups on Facebook or meetup groups or you know, Reddit subreddits or uh, there's so many different spaces, especially in this COVID season that are facilitating meetings. And then another thing to do as well is don't be afraid to create something yourself. Find a handful of people that you might want to connect with more personally. Maybe you follow them on Instagram. Maybe you've connected with them in a Facebook group. Maybe they're at your school where you teach and you've always thought to yourself, I think we'd be really good friends if we could have an opportunity to connect and plan a zoom meeting, plan a zoom happy hour, plan an opportunity to, you know, Connect online. I think it's about either finding spaces that already exist or creating spaces on your own. And, you know, look, I I never thought I'd be building community, but I think within all of us, there is a community builder of some kind. And so there's an opportunity there as well to create the spaces that you wish existed.
1: So many great takeaways here, action steps. I love what you said about getting in people's DMs, making genuine connections, because I think that's just great business practice as well. It's great. Um, practice for engagement and really growing a genuine following. And that's what I love about small businesses. And I know that's what you love about them too. Is just that they really, uh, they lean into their values and um, they're independent and creative and amazing. And so a lot of us are really working to make sure that we're using our dollars to support small businesses. How would you suggest we get started in choosing businesses that really align with our values? Yeah so first I'll start by saying that
0: it's about I everyone loves to say but progress not perfection and so I always come into this conversation by saying you know, you can be an advocate for small business and still occasionally get a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. Okay. You can be an advocate for small business and still occasionally pick up clothes for your kid at target. Like these two realities don't have to be so far apart that we find ourselves saying, if you've ever shopped big, then you can't be an advocate for small. Um, that's the first thing I'd like to say, because sometimes I think when I get into this conversation, um, and I say, you know, support small business, people feel really overwhelmed or they feel sort of like, you know, they don't know where to begin, or they maybe only reserve supporting small business for shop small Saturday, you know, small business Saturday once a year. And they think of it as like the th- the good thing they do one time a year. And I, I want to reframe that. So in terms of figuring out who to support and how to do it, it just starts by thinking proactively thinking about upcoming purchases birthdays are always a great one. Um, you know, small actions that maybe you take weekly. If you do get that cup of coffee, it's okay to get your occasional, um, you know, Starbucks in the drive through while you're racing to school or a meeting. But what if you added five minutes earlier in your day? And what if you could stop by a local coffee shop, right? And maybe you make a habit of intentionally doing that one day a week to start. Uh, maybe when you think about the upcoming holidays, or you think about a birthday that, that you have coming up, you look into things like we do a rising Tied gift guide every year. And this year, I think we're going to have almost 400 placements in our gift guide, all small businesses in tons of categories that are amazingly talented. I'm talking, you're not just doing something good for the world. You're actually going to get incredible, incredible products that can only be found by small businesses created by hand, made by amazing people. And so gift guides are a great place to start. Etsy is a great place to start. Um, Also just discovering people on social media. If you find a business that you love, bookmark it and create a collection on your Instagram account or a board on your Pinterest account that just houses all of these unique small businesses and artists and makers and creators that you want to revisit, you want to go back to at a later time so that you don't just scroll and miss them and and lose sight of somebody amazing to support. And then one last thing that I'll add here, you know, supporting small business doesn't just look like spending money. I think we also have that misconception and we think that if we're not just spending money, we're not supporting them. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do for a small business is to give them a follow on social media, to like their posts, to engage with their content, to tell the algorithm that they are important, that their content matters, and that it deserves to be seen by more of their audience. And in doing so, you organically help to push them to... The top of the line. You have to remember that there are so many Davids fighting big Goliaths, the Amazons, the Targets, the Walmarts of the world. And when you have a chance to support them just by leaving a comment, liking their content, leaving a great review when you have a great experience, not just when you have a bad one, it's really, really important to do those types of actions so that you can help these small business owners and these independent creators to continue doing what they love to do. And it is so important to our culture. It is so important to our world. And my husband and I at the start of COVID had an entire conversation about like, what does the world look like without small business? Like, what would it look like without independent businesses, coffee shops, restaurants? So many of us choose our communities that we want to live in, or we know the people that we engage with on a daily basis while we're grabbing even out takeout from a local shop that we love to to go to. Or for us, it's like there's a local seafood place right down the street that's locally owned and small. We go there way too much, way more than we should, but we know people. We actually become a part of that family and that's part of our community. What would the world look like without that? What would the world look like if all of those businesses started to close down or all of those independent creators? couldn't continue forward. And I'm going to be really honest and say it's not a world that many of us would want to live in, where human creativity is diminished, where everything is automated, where we don't have this incredible freedom to see people creating and building and making amazing things in our community, places for us to connect. And so supporting it is really important, something that we have to do. And it doesn't always require us to spend money. We can do it in free ways as well.
1: Okay. First of all, thank you for freeing me of the guilt of shopping at Target every once in a while. I've been really trying to rethink my dollars where I'm spending them and thinking of them as a vote for the businesses that I feel aligned with. But every once in a while, you know, I've got to go on that Target shopping spree. So thank you for that. But I think another really cool thing that you said is like when you stop at a local coffee shop instead of running to Starbucks in the morning, yeah, it might take some extra time but you're also expanding your community. You're talking to the people in the coffee shop, the people who work at the coffee shop, and you're just really growing that connection piece. So it really all fits together. And I appreciate the way that you pointed all of this out and the ways that we can support small businesses without spending money as well. I've got one last really important question for you. Uh, A lot of the teachers who are listening feel this pressure to be this Big business. This that we have to have this huge business, and we need to be CEOs of large companies with lots of employees. Um, But really, a lot of us are solopreneurs, and we're independent business owners. We're small business owners. We're following our genuine set of values. We're looking for impact and income, both of those things. But we feel this pressure to be big, big, big. And so, how can we step into the role of CEO? And really kind of have that decision-making process and feel like leaders without losing touch with our values and why we started this business in the first place. How do we do both? Wow. Okay, so you definitely
0: left the hardest question for last. Um, I, I think it really starts by redefining what we want success to look like in our lives and adhering by our definition of success and no one else's. Even in hearing the word CEO, I ask myself two questions. One, um, how many teachers are Enneagram 3s? Because I bet it's a lot of them. And two, and probably Enneagram 2s as well. Side note, um, a lot of of good-hearted Enneagram 2s in there, which is just more of my way of joking because I'm an Enneagram 3 and I relate to that. But also in terms of the definition or title of CEO, my question becomes why? Why? Why do we feel the pressure to have a big title, have a big business? Is it because it's truly our definition of success? Is it because what we're chasing after is that title? Or are we chasing after the perception of prestige? Are we chasing after... Feelings of importance and worth and value that, again, we've touched on so many times today, are already inherently in you. You don't need a title to feel that way. You shouldn't need a title to feel that way. Um, and I think it starts by defining that definition definition of success for you. If that means that you want to build something big, you want to one day leave teaching and have a business with employees, that's fantastic. But that is very different than a definition of success that says, "I want to make an extra ten thousand dollars a year." so that I have money to do things that my partner and I want to do um, over the summer. Or, you know, I want to have financial freedom. I want to be able to build a business that pays off all of my debt from school, that then enables me to build a small savings fund that then contributes to whatever that looks like, right? Those are two very different definitions of success. And neither of them are right, and neither of them are wrong. They're unique to each individual person. And so when we look at the problem of, wanting to be the CEO, and also wanting or needing to be the independent, small-owned business, the question needs to first come back to success what is that definition for us? Are we pursuing our unique definition or are we looking left and looking right at our competition and saying, I want what she has. I want what he has. And maybe even pursuing what we think they have when all that we see is half the truth. All that we see is the curated version on the internet. All that we see is what they're putting out into the world for their brand and the perception of what their business is versus how it actually operates behind the scenes, the first thing. And then the second thing that I'll say here is that, you know, being a CEO in my mind is more about a mindset than it is about an actual title. I, and where I've kind of landed in, in my career is that, you know, operating like a CEO means uniquely doing only what you need to do in your business and understanding that you can either outsource or automate or remove other tasks from your plate. So it might not look like full-time employing a team of eight people. But it may look like having a tool, like I work at Honeybook, it's a great example, but having a tool that automates our workflow and helps us to organize our clients and handles contracts and payments so it's done seamlessly. We can get paid while we sleep or while we're in class, we're not stressing about. Anything relating to the operations of the business, that's a CEO mindset. That's saying, I don't have to control everything in order to be profitable and sustainable long-term. Actually, perhaps I should take more off of my plate and reserve my time that I do have when I work on the business to work on tasks that only I can do that are unique to my gifts we talked about your unique superpowers your unique abilities what is it that you should be spending your time on and the rest the ceo removes off of his her or their plate and so i think that that really is the first place to start and then last thing i'll say you know it it is about not only redefining success not only wearing the ceo hat and looking at how to remove things from your plate that you shouldn't be working on but I also think it lands in just being confident in being small and the power of being independent and the power that comes with being a solopreneur. Um you know, bigger, isn't always better. Tons of employees is not easier. And certainly being able to have that autonomy and that freedom to create and experiment and explore in a certain season of business can sometimes be exactly what you need. If you race too hard to become too big, too fast, you won't have that chance to explore and to create and just to have fun with it. The pressure can become very overwhelming. And so there is a season for a reason, as you step into small business, that often is very, very small and where the world world is not watching. And that I believe can actually be a really beautiful and magical thing. And so embracing that and loving that is really important. I, you know, when I first started, nobody was following my work and nobody had any idea about what I was doing. And that was the season, honestly, where I look back and that felt more like a passion than something I had to do with pressure. It felt like a season where I really got to explore and figure out who I wanted to be as a photographer and as a creative. And it set the foundation for who I am today. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, Alyssa, but that's kind of where my mind goes when you ask that question.
1: Yes, that's totally helpful. And I love the way you said that being a CEO is really a mindset. It's in the way you make your decisions and the way you run your operations. Uh, And I think it kind of allows us to embrace all of it as long as we remember that we're worthy and there's enough for us. And we have to kind of stay focused on why we are here, whatever that reason is, like you said, be it financial freedom, or maybe you do want to be in charge of, uh, you know, lead a team of employees and maybe you do want to leave teaching, or maybe you don't, maybe you just want to pay off some bills, but whatever that is, stay focused on your journey and what you're here for. And I just love that idea of there being a season for everything and everybody has to start somewhere. So just kind of to wrap this all up, embrace all of it. And, you know, no matter which season you're in or where you are on your individual journey, you have a mission. There was a reason you started this. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you know you were made for more. So lean into that, embrace it, and go for it. Now, I know my listeners definitely picked up on the fact that you mentioned a book. So please, before we go, you must tell us about this book. Yes. So I'll give you an
0: exclusive that hasn't been shared anywhere, literally anywhere yet. So, the book. The book is called Built to Belong, Discovering the Power of Community Over Competition. And it will hit shelves next August, right before the next school year. And um, this is my first book. I've never done this before. So I'm brand new to it, but incredibly eager. And it is a mix of honest storytelling and a little bit of nerdy science. We we dive into the science of competition and we talk about some of the things we touched on today in a more in-depth way. But my hope is that it really helps to transform these mindsets that we're discussing and the way that we move throughout the world and knowing that we were built to belong and that there's so much for us on the other side of of toxic competition.
1: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I know my listeners are going to be really excited for that book and we will be watching for it. Where is the best place to connect with you and keep an eye on that book release? Should they follow you over on Instagram?
0: Yeah. Instagram is where I spend way too much of my time. And so yes, feel free to slide into the DMs at any point. And then I would encourage everyone to, you know, we talked about community. If you want to get plugged into your local Tuesdays Together group, the best place to do that Um, is at honeybook.com slash rising tide, or you can head over on Instagram to rising tide society. And we have a map. You can find your local group. You can get plugged in, get connected. Again, it's completely free to be a part of it. There's no catch. It's led by volunteers. It's just an amazing community and a great place to connect with others that want to grow together and want to succeed side by side
1: thank you so much for this. I really appreciate this episode. I think it's one you have to listen to over and over. And I have to share with you something that I didn't tell you before the podcast started, which is that today is my birthday. And this episode feels like the perfect birthday gift. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. I was telling everybody on Instagram that I had a really special podcast interview today, but I wouldn't tell them who it was. So I can't wait to reveal this to them. So thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, thank you so much for having me. What an episode. I, do you see why I thought that one was the best ever? I mean, I love all my podcast episodes, but this episode just felt totally aligned to the mission of Teacher Hustle University and the reason that I'm running this podcast. And I think it is one of those episodes that you need to listen to over and over and over again. And I hope that it really helps you step into your role as a thought leader, a change maker, and someone who is going to impact the world of education. So keep going. Keep thinking those positive thoughts. Surround yourself with community. Realize that there's a season for everything in your business and that all growth comes through change. And so I will see you in the next episode.